Thanks for stopping back on the Locked on Buckeyes podcast. Good Tuesday, everybody. We got much to talk about today. I want to uh, preface this by saying I am your host, Kyle Lamb, and I am feeling a little under the weather. You know, that flu, it's flu season, right? And, and it's been going around, and I guess my family is no exception. I know a couple members of my family have already got it. I don't know that I had the flu yet, but I had that that lethargic feeling you get right before you get a really bad cold or the flu. And that's how I'm feeling today. So I apologize if I come across as dull and uh, lifeless at times, but I'm just trying to get through it. I I don't know if I've got the flu or not, but we'll see. But I am a little bit out of breath and out of energy more than normal. So just keep that in mind today, but thanks for giving us a listen here on the Lockdown Buckeyes podcast, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Today, expectations, what should they be for Ohio State? Was the season a failure? Hearing that vibe a little bit out there on Twitter, I'll address what I think about that. Mike Yersich is off to Texas. What is his possible replacement? We'll get into that. J.K. Dobbins is off to the league Will Sean Wade and company follow? We'll discuss what the roster looks like for next season and a little bit more on the shenanigans from Saturday evening with the Fiesta Bowl, all coming up today on Locked on Buckeyes. We're on your favorite podcasting platform. Find and follow us. Tell a friend, tell a family member. We're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes podcast on your smart speakers. We are brought to you by JFQ Lending. All of your mortgage and refinance needs should be handled by Buckeye. Licensed in 33 states and more on the way. Check them out at jfqlending.com. Today, I ask you rhetorically, what are your expectations for Ohio State football? Generally speaking, Obviously, every season is going to be a little bit different. But what is your emotional reaction and your qualitative assessment of a season when those expectations are not reached? I've seen some people on social media since Saturday night label the 2019 Ohio State football season a failure. Look, everybody is entitled to their own expectations, their own hopes their own goals. But I, I will say this. I can't I can't wrap my head around calling a season that was one of the greatest regular seasons in Ohio State history a failure because they didn't meet it. I don't think people realize in some cases, not all of you, some of you maybe, how difficult it is just to go undefeated. When you look at Alabama, for instance, You know, Alabama's only gone, since Nick Saban got there, they've only gone undefeated, what, I think twice since Saban has been there. And they've been the best program in the country. It's a really difficult thing to navigate, to to get through a major conference undefeated. There are so many landmines. Ohio State was just one of eight teams in the last, uh, what, uh, 50 years almost to win every single game in the regular season by double digits. Think about how rare that is. So for Ohio State to go undefeated, win a Big Ten title, go on to a playoff, and get beat 
sure they got beat. It's 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 a disappointing finish, but they got beat by a really good team. A team that yeah they probably should have won, probably should have beat, but they played a really good team. Just to get to the playoff, I I don't even know what the odds are at the start of the season for Ohio State to make the playoff. Remember ESPN had them eight percent chance to make the playoff. I don't know what the odds should have been. I know some of you don't trust FPI and ESPN. But whatever the odds were, they were very low. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say conservatively 20%. They had, coming into the playoff, probably a 25% chance of winning. If you think about it, just basic probability. Let's say 50% to beat Clemson, 50% to beat LSU, 50% times 50%. Chances of winning both games, it's about 25%. So let's say uh, let's say 25% for the regular season. We're talking such a minuscule chance of actually winning the title. But going into the playoff alone, just, just the fact that they already got there, let's let's just start there. They had a one in four chance of winning. Probably a tad higher. Be- when you factor in the possibility of Oklahoma beating LSU and I know you're laughing at that laughing out loud at that mere possibility because we saw how that game played out but in the small chance that Ohio State had won and then played Oklahoma I guess you could argue there was a a chance at a a couple percent bump in that overall number but a one in four chance that Ohio State would have won the title coming into this playoff we, we have to temper our expectations. Everybody is gunning for a national title. There's no question that that is the number one goal of Ohio State. But I promise you, walk into the Woody Hayes Athletic Facility sometime. I have. I'm not a daily beat writer, but every once in a while, I, I have been on the beat. I've gone there. I've covered a few, a few events that were there, okay? When you go in, they have goals plastered around the building, and I can guarantee you, beat Michigan— win a Big Ten title, win all your games. They accomplished most of their goals just because they missed out on that one. It doesn't make the season a failure. I think it's okay to shoot for the national championship, but if you don't get it, look at everything else they accomplished this year. Let yourself live a little bit. Enjoy what you saw. They were a fun team to watch. That has to count for something. It's not just about winning titles. It's, it's about entertainment. You're, you're watching Ohio State football because it brings you pleasure. I hope it does. If it doesn't bring you pleasure to watch them win games, then why are you watching? You have to let yourselves be entertained. Imagine the, the, the meme on the internet. Are you not entertained? Because if you're not, go find something else that brings you happiness. Look, I've said this before. I think the worst thing about college football is the demand for perfection because it doesn't exist in any other sport on any other level. It doesn't exist in the NFL. It doesn't exist in basketball, college, or pro. Not realistically. Baseball and hockey, of course. This perfection that people seek and expect, it's not realistic. It happens sometimes, but it's it's very difficult to do. You have to be willing to accept losses sometimes. 
Sometimes you're going to go up against a, a, a really good team. And just because you lose doesn't mean you didn't play well. Somebody has to lose. Sometimes two good teams play one another and somebody's going to get the dub. Somebody's going to take the L. That's just the nature of sports. I think Ohio State had a really good year. If you can't look back at this 2019 season and see them blow the doors off Penn State, okay, it was an 11-point win. Maybe that's not fair. But they did blow the doors off Michigan again for the umpteenth time in a row. They beat Wisconsin twice. They won the Big Ten title. They made a football playoff. And sure, they did not win, but you know what? They left it out on the field. They played pretty well. They played hard. They had a great, great performance by the coaching staff on both sides of the ball. There is so much to be proud of in Buckeye Nation from this Ohio State football team. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Don't let the irritation and the frustration and the disappointment get you down because Ohio State football had a great year. It was not a failure. It was a success. This is one of the best seasons of Ohio State football in history. They unfortunately didn't join the ranks of a couple of the championship seasons that they've had, but it was really close. One loss. Don't let that one loss define the entire season. I beg of you. I'm not saying get over your disappointment. It's okay to be disappointed. You wanted more. There's no harm in that. But be realistic. They had, even if you hoped and thought that they were the best team in the country, and I think that they were, the odds were against them for winning a national title. That's just basic probability. It's basic basic math. They did what the odds say they probably were expected to do. They were two two and a half point underdogs here. I thought they were the better team, and, and that kind of showed on the field. I you know I still think they should have beat Clemson, and we can rehash all of the reasons they didn't. You you know the reasons we went over them on the Monday episode. We're not going to get back into those reasons, but it's just the way of life. Coming up next, we'll talk about some of the departures of Ohio State, both in coaching and personnel ranks, and I'll make. Heads from tails of those losses. If you go through and take account of what Ohio State is losing or expected to lose on the defensive side of the ball, it's enough to make you dizzy. We discussed yesterday the preliminary expectations for the offense for next year with the return of fields, most of the offensive line, Master Teague and Marcus Crowley in the backfield, all of those receivers It's a good thing that the offense stacks up as being really, really good on paper because the defensive side of the ball is going to be quite different next year. Among the losses up front in the front seven, Hamilton, Cornell, Landers, all gone. Chase Young, presumably gone for the NFL. We could expect an announcement from him, I'm I'm guessing, sometime later this week, if not next week. Uh, Malik Harrison... Jordan Fuller, Damon Arnett, all gone for sure. Uh, We can pretty much assume Jeffrey Okuda and Sean Wade, who, by the way, Wade is making his announcement as to his intentions this upcoming Saturday in Jacksonville. Most of the time, can't say for sure, but most of the time when you make an announcement, it's to go pro. 
we have seen players in the past in college football make their intentions known with a ceremony that they're returning to school. It wouldn't be the first time, but I think it's fairly safe to say Sean Wade is probably gone. Ohio State fans have expected that most of the season. It's not shocking if he does, and nobody would blame him. He's got a chance to be a first-round pick. So Ohio State's going to be replacing probably that entire secondary, uh, one of the linebackers, and probably three-quarters of that defensive line. So many, many changes coming for the defense next year. Very young, very inexperienced. Of course, they are still in search of a defensive backs coach, Jeff Halfley now taking over as the head coach at Boston College. I can only assume that Ohio State is perfectly content waiting for the NFL season to wind down, whether it's Kerry Coombs returning to Ohio State or looking for another NFL guy. That will probably be set in motion very, very quickly. If it is Coombs, then Ohio State will probably wait out the Titans season to see what happens. I can tell you one thing. There are many reports now that uh, Mike Yersich has joined the staff over at Texas. He is leaving Ohio State quarterbacks coach now down with uh, Texas Tom down there, Tom Herman. Well, there are reports that Ohio State begged him to stay and he turned down a pay raise and promotion and yada, yada, yada. I can tell you that's fake news. It's nothing against Yersich. I don't think Ohio State has any ill will towards him. But I, I, I can tell you from what I have heard that they were okay. They were content with him moving on. He just was not a fit the way it's being put. And I don't mean that negatively. But there are some guys that just don't work well together. And I, I don't think, from what I understand, Yersich really fit the Ohio State system, the way of doing things. And I can also tell you, that the drum beats down there, Texas is trying propaganda out on the public. They want people, their own people, to think that they're beating Ohio State for coachings, coaches. They want you to think that Yersich turned down a big pay raise to go to Texas. They want you to think that he turned down a defensive coordinator, or Chris Ash turned down a defensive coordinator position to skip Ohio State's offer, and then go to Texas. I can promise you Chris Ash did not get a defensive coordinator offer. They may have had some conversations, but he was never offered the job or a job. Texas is really spitting things down there right now because of the pressure. They want their fan base, their alumni base, to believe that Texas is back on track. They're taking all the best coaches from Ohio State. Look at us. We're, we're a powerhouse. But I tell you, it's fake news. Ohio State was okay with Yersich leaving. They are okay. They were definitely okay with Chris Ash going to Texas. That was not something that that they lost any sleep over. Uh, We know J.K. Dobbins on the offensive side of the ball has declared for the NFL draft. Look, I, I don't... I saw some people discussing where Dobbins ranks in the history of Ohio State running backs. I don't don't put him in the top three. I I don't think it's crazy to have them have him there. But my top three are by a pretty large distance: Archie, Eddie, and Zeke. I would probably put Dobbins number four. I'd put him ahead of Robert Smith, Carlos Hyde. There are many guys you could name, but I I probably put him number four, a distant number four behind those top three. 
I just can't put him in the top three. Eddie was a Heisman winner. We know what Zeke did. And technically, Dobbins did have more yards than Zeke. But because Zeke was so good down the stretch of that 2014 season, and given what he's doing in the NFL, I know he's having a little bit of a disappointing season this year, but has been good in the NFL when he's neither suspended nor hurt. But I I just put those top three. Archie, Eddie, and Zeke are the top three for me. I'd put Dobbins number four. Dobbins leaving, of course, not really a surprise to anybody. Now, I will say this. I know there's been some disappointment as to how Master Teague did down the stretch. I have to remind some people, though, that he was injured. I think you're not seeing the Master Teague that we saw earlier in the year because he has been battling injuries. That's affected his speed and quickness just a little bit. I think Teague goes into next season being the guy, and Marcus Crowley will get a lot of reps behind him. I have a lot of faith in these two guys. I still think Teague reminds me a lot of Rudy Johnson, the former Auburn running back, played several seasons for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think Teague, when healthy, has a lot more quickness than you've seen down the stretch. I think he'll hit holes. He's tough to bring down. I think, especially behind an offensive line that's going to be largely back next year, Munford, Myers, Davis, uh, Nicholas Petit-Freer, you throw in Paris Johnson maybe to the mix, getting some reps as a freshman. I think this offensive line is going to be really good again next year. And if Teague is healthy, he's going to have a monster season. And and that pass game is going to be out of this world good. So I, I really like where Ohio State is sitting offensively. The question going into next year will be, how does that defense do at, with so many young guys, new faces, fresh faces, guys that just haven't gotten a lot of reps before? There'll be talent there, but how do they do? If they can come into their own, play well early on, then I think Ohio State has got a chance to be really, really good, a top-four team again next year. Speaking of, uh, so let's go back to Mike Yersich. We mentioned him going to Texas. I do want to credit Alex Gleitman being the first to report this over on BuckeyeGrobe.com. One name to keep an eye on there is Corey Dennis. Of course, Corey Dennis was a former quality control staffer at Ohio State that had had been a part of the program here this entire season, was set to go to Colorado State to be an assistant coach out there. But with this opening coming with Mike Yersich leaving, there's now an opportunity for Dennis, the son-in-law, by the way, of, of Urban Meyer, if that name sounds familiar. There's now an opportunity for Corey Dennis to step in and become the quarterback coach at Ohio State. So he may not wind up going to Colorado State after all. According to Alex Gleitman of Buckeye Grove, look for Corey Dennis to be a possible leading candidate to take over that job. Uh, if, if somebody else reported that first, I apologize, but Alex was the first guy that I saw report it. It's kind of funny because the first thought I had and the instinct I had when there were rumors of Yersich leaving, I thought, well, Corey Dennis would make a lot of sense, and that was not coming off of any information. It's just putting two and two together. It just seemed like a good fit. So we'll see if that materializes. Watch Corey Dennis possibly taking over for Mike Yersich. Coming up next, uh, one last comment I would like to make here this week on the whole controversy. I have a few thoughts about the targeting and this SEC officiating situation. I promise I'm not going to linger on this any longer, but I do want to have some final thoughts on that. So that'll be coming up next.
couple of final thoughts here before we wrap up uh, the Locked On Buckeyes podcast today. I want to rehash the officiating situation one more time. I'm not going to spend time. I promise we're, we're not going to do the uh, the butthurt thing where we linger on this. It's, it, it's just not good for anybody. But I will say, I do think it's worth paying attention to. You know, it's not just about whether or not Ohio State deserved to win the game, whether they not whether or not that they had it ripped from them. This is also about, I think, we need to apply pressure when things like this happen in college sports, pro sports, or anything. If there is a vulnerability, if there's a weakness, if there is a flaw in the system, it needs to be addressed. Uh, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I think that this shows that there is a squeaky wheel. We need to grease it, okay? We, we need to address this. I'm going to start with the the targeting call because I looked at the rule again, and it, it's important to note that this really was a poor call. And I know everybody is ingrained to say, well, he led with the crown of his helmet, so therefore it's targeting. But there are multiple indicators that must be met. First of all, yes, you have to lead with the crown of your head. That is one targeting indicator that has to be met. But they're also, because the quarterback was not a defenseless player. Once Trevor Lawrence tucked the ball and braced for contact, he did not he did not remain a defenseless player. For a quarterback to be defenseless, he has to be in the process of throwing or he has to have just thrown the ball. If that happens, he's defenseless and you know, he can't really t- he can't really duck anyway because he's he's defenseless. But because he braced for contact and he ducked, he is not a defenseless player. What that means, essentially, is that there's a slightly different threshold in that intent matters. Because Sean Wade was already ducking and going into his lunging, tackling motion, Trevor Lawrence ducking and creating the forcible contact with the helmet really does, in my you know, from my understanding of the rule and from what I'm reading elsewhere, as well as the interpretation of the rule, that means that intent matters. He did not intend to create forcible contact with his helmet, with the crown of his helmet, and that matters because Trevor Lawrence was not defenseless. And not only was he not defenseless, he created the contact by lowering his shoulder and ducking. How else would a 6'1 defensive back create helmet-to-helmet contact on a 6'6 quarterback if there was not a duck. He did not leave his feet. So he did not lunge, not any more than a normal tackling motion. My problem with the the targeting rule, and it's not just this game that targeting has been so poorly executed, so poorly called, officiated, it's that it, it lacks the common sense of people that have played the game. When you are making a tackle... It is a human instinct that you're trying to protect your own head. It's not natural to want to plant your face mask into somebody. And sometimes if you're trying to go low, if you're trying to aim and and not tackle high, that's going to wind up leaving you vulnerable to a situation like this where another player ducks or turns his helmet and creates contact. This should not have been a targeting It was not called targeting on the field, and although that doesn't matter, because as far as the targeting rule is concerned with replay, 
It has to be confirmed regardless of whether it was called on the field or not. But the fact that it got confirmed when there was reasonable doubt is just another flaw in the system. I don't blame the SEC officials that were on the field. I thought they called a good game. I know some of you have shown screenshots of various points in the game where this call was missed or that call was missed. That happens when you have seven or eight officials on the field and there are 22 players out there, you're going to miss something. It just does happen no matter how good or how bad the officiating crew is. I do not fault the officials on the field. I thought that they called a pretty good game. Did they miss some pass interference, holding, hands to the face? Sure, they missed some, as does every other crew out there ever. You you can't be perfect. You can't, remember when I was talking about expectations, you can't expect perfection. Officials are going to miss things. I think that this officiating crew did a good job. The problem is replay. My confidence level in this system is burnt. When you have an ACC crew doing an SEC game, an SEC crew doing an ACC game, both games being played on ESPN, ESPN owning the ACC and SEC network, my confidence is shaken. It looks bad. This is an optics problem for college football. Even if there is no shenanigans, no wrongdoing or conspiracy, even if these games aren't rigged, the appearance does not look good. And the way the SEC officiated this game, Gerald Hodges, it turns out, is the replay official or was the replay official on Saturday. Apparently, Gerald Hodges, as the replay official, worked with the replay center in Birmingham at SEC headquarters, and I know some of you are already fuming at that suggestion. Now, I will state for the record, this is normal protocol for the SEC. This is how they do things with their SEC games. They utilize the replay center to help coordinate the call. But I think it looks bad. I was shocked and awed to find out that they were using the same system for a playoff game. Because what that tells me is that the SEC office is having direct communication with a replay official as the game is going along. Again, that is an optics problem. Every single referee, officials analyst, rules analyst, former official that I have seen on the record, and I probably looked for 10, 15 different of them, you you name it, Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino, Terry McCauley, Every single one I've seen said that that fumble, the scoop and score, should not have been overturned. Most of them said that they flat out thought it was a catch, but it should not have been overturned. I do not have confidence in the system. The SEC may not have been rigging this game, but when you have replay officials coordinating with the referee on the field and somebody, some third party from an office in Birmingham, Alabama, at the SEC headquarters, having conversations about this, it's, it just doesn't look right. It, it gives me an empty feeling to my stomach. Because, look, 
I am not somebody that runs from the possibility that corruption can happen in college sports. If you follow the money in any walk of life, there's always going to be corruption. And college sports is, is no exception to the rule. It happens. We can bury our heads in the sand and, and believe it doesn't happen, but it does. I don't know how often, how frequent is it? I don't know. But this gives the appearance of impropriety. And even if, if you don't believe it's a, a conspiracy, it just looks bad. I, I don't think the spirit of the system should allow SEC headquarters to have any conversations during this game. My personal opinion, get one replay official, have three neutral replay officials from conferences and FBS that have nothing to do with the game, and make it unanimous. Those three individuals sit in the press box, they look at the replays, they challenge it. All three of them have to agree that it was visual evidence supporting, without a doubt, indisputable evidence to overturn a call. If all three agree, then you change it. Then we wouldn't have these targeting issues as, as frequently. We certainly would not see the shenanigans that we saw with the fumble on the field on Saturday. That's just uncalled for. So this needs to be changed. SEC, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but this is not a good look for that league. Lock on Buckeyes, your daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Thank you for bearing with me. I had to use all of the energy I had left to get through it today. Make sure you tell a friend, tell a family member. Find and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., etc. Follow me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Follow the show at Locked on Buckeye. We'll be back again on Wednesday. More football and basketball talk. Offseason is here for football. Basketball just getting underway for the Big Ten season coming up Friday against Wisconsin. We'll preview that later in the week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great evening.